When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It spoke to me because I felt like he he knew me. He knew my generation. He knew what we felt like. He was talking about what it was like to be young and to want to experience that freedom and that it spoke to me because I felt like he he knew me. He knew my generation. He knew what we felt like. He was talking about what it was like to be young and to want to experience that freedom and that little bit of rebellion and just to rock and roll and to have fun and to be with your friends. And yeah, I was 15 when I first heard Bruce. It was 75, 1975. And my sister actually told me about him. Yeah. And just his songs growing up, Saint in the City, all those earlier songs up until then in 75, when I heard Born to Run was the first song I heard. And it just got to me. I was like, wow, this is the best song ever made. A little bit of rebellion and just to rock and roll and to have fun and to be with your friends. And yeah, I was 15 when I first heard Bruce. It was 75, 1975. And my sister actually told me about him. Yeah. And just his songs growing up, Saint in the City, all those earlier songs up until then in 75, when I heard Born to Run was the first song I heard. And it just got to me. I was like, wow, this is the best song ever made. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Set Lusting Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson. Joining me tonight is Barbara, the co-author and author of a couple of books. We're going to talk a little music. We're going to talk about a mother's journey and mostly just get to know each other. So, Barbara, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. Tell us a little about yourself. Let's see. (laughs) As you mentioned, I'm an author. My life has changed dramatically in the last few years because I lost my son to suicide two and a half years ago. And he was my only child. And he struggled for years with mental health and addiction. And after he was gone, I realized I needed a purpose in my life. So I wrote a book for one thing. And then I wrote another book. I wrote a book about his life. And just to let people know what it's like for someone like Kevin. And then I just completed a book on grief. Talk to me. I'm grieving about how to help someone and support someone through grief. 
Grief is one of those things that often people don't know what to say and they don't know what to do. One of my favorite, and I can't remember who I heard from this from, but they talked about the bullseye, right? That the person who is experiencing the loss is at the bottom, at the very center, and they can do whatever the heck they want to do to deal with the grief. And then the next ring, right, is there to support and then further out. So, you know, if you're two or three rings out, yes, it is sad for you, but you should remember you should be helping the person in the inner ring. I Tell completely about- agree with that. <laughs> yeah. Because often without meaning to, someone tries to make it about themselves. Yes. And in, it necessarily shouldn't be. Yes. Um, I have a whole chapter on that in the book. Yeah. It's and about you. And when I lost my father and my stepfather, it, my wife was concerned because I couldn't grieve because I was just worried about my mom, right? Just all that on. And then later, I sometimes think that when she passes, it'll be all at one time. Oh, okay. Now I can finally release the, all this burden of trying to be strong and caring for someone. Yeah. I think that's very common. Trying to be strong for someone else. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me about Kevin. We're going to get to music in a minute, but tell me about your son. Thank you so much for asking. He was a great person. He was quirky and funny, extremely intelligent, but he had struggled with depression since he was in fourth grade or so. And he tried, we, we had therapy, we had medication, we did everything. But when he got to be in high school, he was 17 when someone offered him heroin and it, it made him feel wonderful. He thought he'd found the answer to all his problems until that became his biggest problem. And for years, he struggled going in and out of rehab, hospitals, this and that, jail, prison, the whole nine yards. And he warned me that he may end his life. He warned me many times over the years that he may not be able to take this anymore. And so he did make that choice. He was so despondent. It was so hard to watch him that last year was just so painful. So I never got mad at him about it. I understood, but he was the most loyal friend and the most generous person. And he was, he just was like an encyclopedia. If he was interested in something like cars, for example, he loved cars. He could tell you everything about every car ever made. It was just insane. Because I certainly don't have that kind of memory. (laughs) But yeah, that's my boy. And I think it's very important to not make it about the person's death versus their life correct? Yes, exactly. Yeah, that's good. We're going to talk more about him, but I always like to start at the beginning. So talk to me about where did you grow up? What kind of music did you listen to? What kind of family did you have growing up? I grew up in Southern California with a father who loved music, loved all kinds of music. But when I was four years old, he and I had a special thing. Every Sunday night, I'd get to stay up a little later because I was the oldest. And when I was four, we watched the Beatles 
every Sunday night, my dad and I would watch the Ed Sullivan show on TV. And I will never forget the first time the Beatles came on that show and I watched it, saw all the screaming girls and saw these guys with their instruments singing. And it just hooked me right then. I was really young, but I started listening to all my dad's music. He loved the Beatles. He loved, well, he loved just about every kind of music there is. But I grew up with music around me pretty much all weekend when he was home. It was playing. And as I got older, I definitely leaned towards rock and roll. I, in high school, I listened to Led Zeppelin and Pink Floyd and the Rolling Stones and all those good bands. But Bruce has always been my all-time favorite. <laughs> I always don't know if you know this, but I asked the question, can you remember when you first heard Bruce and can you articulate why his music meant so much to you? How did it speak to you? It spoke to me because I felt like he he knew me. He knew my generation. He knew what we felt like. He was talking about what it was like to be young and to want to experience that freedom and that little bit of rebellion and just to rock and roll and to have fun and to be with your friends. And yeah, I was 15 when I first heard Bruce. It was 75, 1975. And my sister actually told me about him. Yeah, and just his songs growing up, Saint in the City, all those earlier songs up until then in 75 when I heard Born to Run was the first song I heard. And it just got to me. I was like, wow, this is the best song ever made. I love that story. And it's, yes, we, many of us have that feeling. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. 
we're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. So I always like to preface, Barbara, with the amount of times you've seen Bruce perform live isn't a fair barometer of how big of a fan you are. But have you seen him live? And if so, do you count how many shows? Of course. I'm up to 34 and nice. I don't, I'm not able to travel all over and see him like some people are, but I've seen him every single time he's been in the Los Angeles area since my first Bruce concert, which was 1980. Never missed a show. Sometimes I'll go twice in one tour, but yeah, I have never missed a show. You know what it's like. There's nothing. It's not even a show. It's an experience. From the second you drive into the parking lot and you see all the other people and you can tell which ones are hardcore fans and which ones are just there for a concert. And then you go inside and the energy, oh, it's the whole night is just magic. Barbara, I often joke that there's two kinds of people, the person that goes to their first Bruce show and go, wow, that was long. And the second <laughs> kind are those that say, wow, I, I want to follow this guy everywhere and I can't wait to see this thing again yeah I get you have you gotten to see this tour yet no he I have my tickets for December 6th which okay. is the day before Kevin's oops, I'm so sorry That's which okay. is the day before Kevin's birthday I will be seeing Bruce for the 35th time so nice looking forward to it don't have the greatest seats this time which is disappointing i might buy some when it gets closer but oh just they get so expensive yeah it really is and you do well at least i'm in the building right and so it'll be and it'll be a great experience yeah Uh, so from someone who has experienced some grief and has written about it give me your thoughts on letter to you and i assume you've seen the set list and have seen people talking about that. What do you think about his, how open he's been about his depression in the past? Letter to you, which is, I think, dealing with grief and endings as well as beginnings and the set list. Tell me a little bit about your thoughts on that. I have always shared, I do a lot of podcasts on grief and mental illness and things. And I've always used Bruce as an example of someone who is so open and so willingly sharing his story. And I just admire that so much because there's a lot of shame and stigma surrounding it still in this day. And that's just crazy. So for him to come out and show the world that, yes, it doesn't matter if you're famous, if you have money, if you have a beautiful family, if you love your job, none of that matters. It's a chemical thing that's going on. Yeah, I love that he talks about it. I love that he shares about grief. I feel like he's moving forward at the same time as I am. He's 10 years and two days older than me, but I feel like so many things in my life are going along with his and I can hear it in the songs. 
And it's just been a beautiful experience. Even when they had their first child, I had my first and only child. And I just thought, wow, I'm pregnant with Patty and we're both going to have a boy. <laughs> it was just one of those things. But as far as the new, the set list, I've just read it's all over the place for this tour. And I've watched clips and it just looks like he is just having the time of his life. And I just can't wait to be part of it. Yeah, it's been, I've been lucky enough to go to three shows, the three shows in Texas, and it was amazing to hear when, when Letter to You came out, it was really special to me because it was at the end of 2020, there was so much angst in the air and we had been in lockdown and the pandemic and all the racial and political strife. So the album really meant a lot to me. Talk to me. How did you feel about it? I felt the same way. I felt like it was very timely that it offered some healing because it was talking about current things that we could all relate to that we were all upset about. And Bruce is so good at putting a voice to that and just describing the experience that that so many people are having together. And that it's still a strange time. I don't think we, our country is completely healed from that. And it's it changed everything. I agree with you. I don't think we've healed. And I do agree that it's changed in a lot of ways. Yeah. Was Kevin a fan? No. Okay. <laughs> I took him Most... to his first Bruce Springsteen concert when he was nine years old. He loved the song Murder Incorporated. And that was the year that came out so he enjoyed the concert because of that song but he was he was not a huge fan but we always had a rule when we drove in the car we got to listen to my music then his then mine so I saw him singing along to a few Bruce songs now and then I think he really did like him he just didn't want to admit it to me <laughs> I, that's part of the deal is you don't want to like your parents music you right know, that's, exactly that's, yeah that's part of being an angsty teenager so that's yeah, awesome. And he would get mad at me for liking his music. I wasn't allowed to like Eminem and all those people. Yeah. Penn Gillette tells the story that he is unhappy when he hears a teenager saying they like classic rock. He says, when you're a teenager, you should be listening to music that your parents hate. That's the spirit of rock and roll. <laughs> and only when you it become is. an adult, then you get to expand and enjoy all of that. Part of the spirit is to do that. That's amazing. It, it's so interesting to me because I knew a lot of Kevin's friends and he was 29 when he passed. So I, a lot of his friends were into classic rock, Pink Floyd and the things that we listened to that I listened to. I don't know how old you are, but that I listened to growing up in high school and they loved it. So I think that's also a testimony to how great the music was and still is. But Yeah. So do you, Barbara, do you have any stories from live shows, any adventures you want to share with us and tell? Let's see. Oh my gosh. There's so many. There was one show. I always, every single show I've been to with my sister, she is an equal fan. We love Bruce together and we love the band and we love the whole experience. The moments that come out, the two, there's two moments that stick out to me, and neither of them are like 
happy, cheerful rock and roll moments. But one was after 9-11. Yeah, 9-11, when the rising came out and he sang City of Ruins and the whole place was just quiet. It was just so quiet for a Bruce concert. And that was just, I don't know, I just could feel the energy in the room. And then the really emotional time was after we lost Clarence. I found out about Clarence's death as I was getting out of my car to go to a U2 concert. It was a daytime concert. And I couldn't believe it. I just couldn't believe it. It really changed the whole U2 concert. And I could tell that they were affected by it too. They shared about it. But the first time seeing Bruce after losing Clarence, he asked for a moment of silence. And when Jake Clemens played the sax solo on Jungle Land, it was just, wow, it was very touching. It was very moving. It was very emotional. And I could look around and everyone was feeling that way. All the real fans were feeling that way because they understood what was being said without any words. And it was really beautiful. The next, after you lost Kevin, have you gone to a show since you've lost Kevin? No, I haven't. I lost him in 20, August, 2020. Go ahead. The first year I didn't feel like doing anything. I, I often wonder, would I have gotten up and gone to a Bruce show if there was one available at that time? I think I probably would have, but I'm not sure. It was just a real dark year for me. It's weird for me that the timing of this tour is my younger brother, who's about 10 years younger than I am, so he was 53, had been fighting cancer, and we knew it was not going well, and Bruce was going to be here in Dallas on February 10th, and I, and listeners skip ahead a few minutes, because if you guys don't want to hear this again, but Barbara and I are having a moment, and I knew that there was a good chance, and I called my sister, and I said, hey, do you need me to come to Houston? And she said, one, first, I think Dean would tell you to go to the show. But two, because of COVID, we can't be in the waiting room. We can't be in his room. You would just come down to Houston and you would be in the parking lot. Okay, that makes sense. So we saw Bruce on Friday night here in Dallas. And then on Monday morning, we got the text and said that my brother had passed. And then, and I was planning to drive to Houston on Tuesday early because we had tickets to see Bruce in Houston. And so I had told my wife was going to come with me and we had told our friend we were riding with, I said, okay, we're going to leave early. We're going to drop you off the hotel and then we're going to go see my brother. So hearing Bruce at that show that night, both Friday and then Tuesday, very emotional and very, when he does, I'll see you in my dreams. Mm. I will be very candid. There was a lot of moisture in my eyes from that moment. And I am, I am wishing for you the healing spirit of in December, when you were in that venue to hear those songs and to hear that the healing power of Bruce's music and to celebrate Kevin's life. 
Thank you so much. And I believe I will. And he knows Kevin would watch me the second I got a ticket to go see Bruce. It would be like a long wait. He would watch me get more and more excited. He would see me come home. And for days, I would just be talking about only that. So I think he will be happy to know that I am there. <laughs> so talk to me about why did you decide to write a book? I didn't really decide to. It made me write it. It was like I had this nagging feeling in the back of my mind that I had to write this book. Kevin and I were going to write a book about his recovery story someday. We talked about it because I love to write. And the book just wouldn't let me not write it. So I joined a writing group and I just started writing and I got it out within a year. And it was very cathartic, but also it just, I think of it as Kevin's legacy. Anyone who reads it will not only learn about him, but learn what it's like for anyone like him to go through the drug addiction and what families go through because it is so difficult for families. It is just, it's unbelievably difficult. And we often feel very alone and some people are ashamed. And I just want to bring it out in the open because we need to find each other. My grief support is other parents who have lost a child to overdose or suicide because those are the people I relate to and we can help each other through it because no one else quite gets it. It is, it is a club you don't want to be part of. Yeah. And it is, I go back to you too, right? We got to carry each other on one where, because by helping someone else, you can help deal your own grief. I'm a firm believer in that. And that I also, I'm a, I believe in, I've been told this, that often when someone is going through a rough time, I will just be very brutally honest. I'm like, I don't know what to say. So I'm just going to say I'm here. And if I can do something, let me know. Yes. Talk to me about this year, because you're not only did you tell Kevin's story, but then you said you've also worked on grief and how to deal with it and how to work through that. Visit with me a little bit about that. You just gave the perfect example. The first part of what you say about that you just said about, I don't know what to say. That is such an acceptable, good thing to say, because no one does. We say the old cliches that we've heard over and over again. And even though we're well-meaning, sometimes they hurt more than they help. I always tell people anything that starts with the words, at least, you should not say whatever you're going to say after that because it's discounting the grief or the person like at least you have other children at least he didn't suffer at least he was older and then the other part of what you just said is something I talk about in the book because we always have the tendency to say I'm here for you let me know what I can do and that's very generous and kind but to the griever it's overwhelming because we're not going to pick up the phone and call you and tell you what we need. We just aren't. Number one, we may not even know what we need. And number two, it's just another difficult thing for us to deal with. So I suggest in the book a lot of different things that you can do or say rather than that. And just to do them, just to 
say, I'm going to bring you a meal and I'm going to leave it on your front porch and ring the doorbell so you don't even have to say hi to me if you don't want to, or off tell them, can I come over right now and walk your dog? Or yeah, there's a whole bunch of little things you can do just to relieve someone of their daily chores because it's so hard in the beginning. It's like you can't do anything. It's very difficult, especially for child loss or any significant loss. And then the other thing, what was I going to say? I'm sorry. No, you're fine, Barbara. While you're thinking, I think that's really wonderful advice. And I do remember reading that somewhere that just, hey, by the way, I'm cleaning the house. I'm coming over or I'm doing, and you know your friends and you know their limits. And that, I think that's wonderful advice to talk about that and to follow their lead, but also at times follow your heart in But I guess what I'm trying to say is you don't want to be over pressing, but you also, if you just wait for them to call you, they may never call you because they're too wrapped up in their own grief, correct? Yes, exactly. And they can always say no if they need, if they don't want anything, but it's easier for them to say no if they don't want anything than to ask for something. And also the other thing I'd like to bring up is that In the beginning, everyone shows up for you. There's people, there's cards, there's flowers, there's meals. And as the week goes on, the weeks go on, then things slow down quite a bit. And sometimes you can feel forgotten about. So if you have a friend or a family member who's lost someone close to them, check in with them once a month. Just say, hey, how are you doing? If someone says to me, I was just thinking about Kevin. I, that's the best thing you could ever say to me. Something like, I was just thinking about Kevin, how are you doing? Just to let me know that they're aware that my whole world has changed and they care about how I'm dealing with it. It's the simplest things really that mean the most when it comes to grief. You know, Barbara, I remember years ago that Michael Jordan's father had been murdered. And, and it was all over the news and there was discussion and there was a lot of rumors about why and what, and, and then within, and I'm going to get the dates wrong, but in rough terms, within a year, he had retired from basketball and was going to play baseball. And a writer said in today's news cycle, Something that happened nine months ago seems an eternity, but for the person that was involved with, it's just a blink of an eye. And the idea that, yes, the first couple of weeks, even the first couple of months, someone's, hey, there, yeah, let me think about, but then people move on and people, life gets busy and going on. And I can remember when we lost my wife's father unexpectedly you would her boss said this is the only dad you're ever going to lose so if you are having a bad day you just tell me and take the day and there's no time limit on that because you don't know how there is no corporate gives you three bereavement days and then get your butt back to work And that's just not how grief works, is it? 
no. And that is generous and intuitive of him to say that, to understand that, because a lot of people don't. It comes in waves and you never know when it's going to hit you. So what do you think, what's next for you? What it sounds like in, I, I admire people who take this situation in channeling this, I'm sorry if this sounds like a cliche, but you're channeling your grief to help others. And by helping others, you're going to help yourself. What's next for you? What do you want to do next? I absolutely agree with that. And I'm actually already doing what's next for me. It's been a changing experience. I volunteer for an organization, a nonprofit. It's called TIP, which stands for Traumatic Intervention Program. And I went through extensive training. And what we do is when first responders are on a call where there's been a death or any kind of trauma, serious car accident, a shooting, whatever it may be, mostly it's deaths in home. They are not able to stick around and give comfort. They're, that's not what they're there for. And oftentimes they, they feel bad leaving someone alone and crying when they've just lost their husband or whoever. And so they call us. And we go out as volunteers and comfort the person. And we call it emotional first aid. We render emotional first aid to them. We help them. Like, for example, I'll call the mortuary for them. I'll protect them from neighbors that want to come over that they don't want to see, whatever the case may be. But I have found it so rewarding because they came to my home when Kevin died. And having that woman there that day, just witnessing my grief looking out for me, handing me Kleenex when I needed it, just the simplest little things. It made such a big difference because I would have been alone and that would have been horrifying. Um, my sister was with me too, but she helped me raise Kevin. And so she was just as messed up as I was, but that's what I'm doing now. And I really enjoy it. It sounds funny to say that a lot of people say, why would you want to do that? But I, I just love giving back and I know what they're going through. So that helps me be more effective in understanding what it feels like to be in their shoes a little bit. I can certainly imagine that, right? The, the, the idea and it is a little bit of giving back and trying to be there for you. Yeah. So back to a little bit of music. Are there songs you're chasing? Are there songs you want to hear? that you haven't got to hear live yet? I think I've heard every song I want to hear live. There's certain songs that I want to hear every time, <laughs> and you never know if you're going to hear them or not. Is Tom Morello with him on this tour? No, he's, okay. no, he's I didn't, not. I didn't think so because I didn't see him in any of the videos I've watched, but I love Tom Morello when he comes out for Ghost of Tom Jones. That's sure. just really great. But yeah, I don't really have one that I haven't heard. Um, I'll probably think about it more when we when it gets closer, but okay. I want to hear the old classics. I want to hear Thunder Road and Born to Run and I want to hear Jungle Land. I love dark I love Darkness on the Edge of Town is my favorite album. So anything off of that. I like the older stuff. I like the new stuff too, but my heart is with the what I listen to all my life because it's been there longer. Some of the songs have been with me since I was 15. And yeah, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. All right. Before we get to the Mary question, tell me a funny story about Kevin. <laughs> oh my gosh. Let's see. 
funny story about Kevin. There's so many of them, it's hard to come up with one. Oh, he loved to tease us. I raised him as a single mom. My mom, my sister and I, and Kevin lived in the, ho the house that I'm still in right now. And he would just love to say the most outrageous things that were untrue and then watch us respond. And it wasn't always funny, but he would say something like, oh, yeah, there was just some terrible thing just happened out in front of the house. And we'd all be, oh, no, we'd all get up and start running towards the door and he'd start laughing because he knew he could get to us that way. And he also had us wrapped around his little finger when he was a kid because I, I think I felt guilty that he didn't have a dad but he would have ways of talking us into getting him certain lego sets he was really into legos when he was little he was i can't really come up with a funny story i just i can see him laughing his friends have hilarious stories that i never heard until after kevin was gone and they all came over and we sat around and i went what he did what <laughs> just crazy things that i didn't know about yeah most of my memories are good. It's just there's a lot of heartache watching him suffer yeah. for so many years. And I wish he was still here, but I understand. Oh, I, thank you. I thank you for sharing that. And I really appreciate it. I think you are honoring his legacy by helping others. And I think I think you should be proud. I think you should be very proud and you will always miss him, but I think this is a wonderful way to take your grief and try to help others. So good for you, Barbara. I'm, it is a joy to talk to you. Thank you so much, Jesse, for saying that. I appreciate it. Yeah. All right. Before I let you go, though, I got to ask you a merry question. If you're Barbara's, a fan of Barbara's books, and you're listening to this podcast, I end every podcast with a merry question. Jay Armstrong, who is an honors English teacher in the Philadelphia area, would teach his class the poetry. They do a poetry lesson of Thunder Road. They would print out the lyrics. They would look at them, read them, discuss the imagery Bruce is using, talk about the themes of the song. And at the end of the two days, he would ask the question, does Mary get in the car? So, Barbara, that is your question. Does Mary yes. get in the car at the end of Thunder Road? Yes, she does. My sister says she doesn't, <laughs> but I say she does. <laughs> is there a correct response to that? So 60% say yes, 40% say no. I think the reality is it all depends on the person. And it, and I think it, I, the guy who wrote Billions, Brian Copperman, said that we don't want to know. He said that's the whole purpose of why Thunder Road is genius, is we don't know what she picks. So I'm with you. I like a happy ending, so I go, absolutely. Yes. Though I do <laughs> agree with- what we want, so. <laughs> exactly. I do agree with some that it may not be a happy journey, yeah. but I think we get through it. This is great. Thank you, Barbara. If someone wants to reach you, how can they? Um, they can find me through my website, which is my first and last name.com. My last name is Legere. So it's Barbara Legere, L-E-G-E-R-E.com. And I've got my podcasts, my blog, my books, everything's on there. All right. Wonderful. 
Barbara, thank you so much for sharing so much of yourself and coming here and telling stories of Kevin and talking a little bit of Bruce. And I'm so glad we got a chance to meet and visit. And any final thoughts before we get out of here? No, just that I agree with what we were just saying about Born to Run. And I think that's one of the beautiful things is that Bruce does let us use our own imagination in a lot of his songs. And that's one of the things I like about him too. But it has been so wonderful, Jesse. You are a wonderful person. I really enjoyed getting to know you a little bit tonight. Thank you so much. That is very good to say. I want to thank you, Barbara, again, for joining me. I hope you had a good time. I had a great time. It was wonderful. I've been looking forward to this. So thank you so much for having me here. It is. It was just a joy. Listeners, thank you for being here. Please remember to be safe and be kind. And remember, if we open up our hearts, love won't forsake us. Just let the music take us and carry us home. Goodbye. There we go. Another episode. I'm about to go through a couple of things where you can reach me and give me feedback. Um, So if you want to skip this, I understand. But I do hope you check it out every once in a while. I'm available on Twitter at Jesse Jackson DFW. The show is available at SetLustingBruce. You can send me an email, setlustingbruce at gmail.com. You can send me a voicemail at 469-249-2442. I am currently doing a few other podcasts, Perfectly Good Podcast, John Hyatt from A to Z, where Sylvan Groth and I discuss every John Hyatt song in alphabetical order. My Babylon 5 podcast is Last Best Hope for Conversation, where Lou, Karen, and I discuss every episode of Babylon 5 in chronological order. I still am doing Next Stop Everywhere, the Doctor Who podcast with my brother in time, Charles Gaggs. And then finally, How Many Podcasts, the only podcast on the internet that counts, where my buddies and I discuss pop culture. You can go to our Patreon page and support the podcast for as little as a dollar a month. You can go to our Facebook page, like, and please, please go to iTunes or wherever you get your podcast and leave a five-star rating and review for all of the podcasts that I'm doing. It's okay if you don't listen to them, but if you subscribe and rate, it really will make my day better. Thank you, and I will talk to you soon. You just heard the fun talking, hard rocking, music loving, album ranking, fan thinking, joy spreading, lyric reading, story sharing podcast that is the one, the only, said Listening Bruce. The theme for Set Lessing Bruce was written by David Rosen, used by permission. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. 
and why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 